Well, I'm really excited to get to share with you this morning. And I love this series that Pastor Jared has us walking through, The Thread. And I think about it in lots of different ways. I think about the thread that runs throughout our lives. You know, we've got the thread of not just finding Jesus in the Old Testament, but this is a message that gets heard by people all around the world. I've got a buddy named Michael who was texting me this morning from Puerto Rico saying, man, I'm tuning into the message. I got friends in Florida who are tuning into the message, friends in the Philippines, friends in Germany, because the message is something that can be taken around the world. But that's right now, what we've got to understand is this is a historical message that is still vibrant and alive today. So I want to find that thread. I love the idea of a thread because in, in, in my brain, I think of tapestries. It's probably because I'm a real old fella and I grew up listening to Carol King's album, Tapestry. <laughs> my life has been a tapestry. But I didn't put Carol King into the PowerPoint. I put the Bayou Tapestry instead because it's a really cool piece of history. It's 200 and 30 feet long. It's got 58 scenes of the Norman conquest of England and was probably made within just a few years of the conquest. It's still around. And you can zoom in and you can find threads in that tapestry. And these are threads that you can follow throughout the whole 230 feet. Well, Pastor Jared has put us onto a task of finding threads in the Old Testament that speak to Jesus, even though you don't see the name Yeshua typically within the, the, the stories that we look at in the Old Testament. So I want to follow that thread, and the assignment Pastor Jared gave me was to follow the thread of Jesus in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now, if you're new to the Bible or you're new to church, you may not know that story. That's okay. We're going to talk about the story. If you are an old hand and you've read through your Bible many times, you've got that story. That's okay. We may still have something to offer. I was uh, having lunch with a friend from Ohio earlier in the week. And he told he's Jewish. And he's a practicing Jew. And we were talking about this story. And he said, do you realize as a, a Jewish, a practicing Jewish fellow, that we read this story every year in synagogue? And some people might say, well, the story never changed from the last time you read it. He said, that's true. But I've changed. And so I see something new in it. So I don't care where you come from, I want you to do this with me, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at three stitches, if you will, three different uh, storylines, three different thread lines in this story. The first one, I want to put this story into maybe a different setting than you normally hear. And the second thing I want to do is talk about the story itself, and then we'll close by looking at the significance of the story and what it means to Danny and what it means to me. So let's do that together. Let's start with the setting itself. 
Now the setting for this story, Abraham and Isaac, you may think is in Genesis. But I want the setting of this story as it's found in the Gospel of John. I want to look at John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. If you're new to the Bible, John is in the New Testament. This is a gospel about Jesus. This is a story with Jesus as the central person in the story. Yet it's the setting for Abraham and Isaac. So I've got, there are a number of verses here. Don't get lost in them, especially if you're young and you're not used to reading a bunch of the Bible all at once. You hang in there. It's going to be worth it, okay? Here it is. Let's put it on the screen. The Jews answered to Jesus. And the Jews said, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan? That was a racial slur. You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Jesus said, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father. And you are dishonoring me. And Jesus adds, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, if anyone hears what I say and responds to it, that's the idea of keeping his word, hearing what he says and answering it. If anyone keeps my word, he, she will never see death. The Jews said to him, okay, now we're sure you've got a demon. I mean, Abraham died. The prophets died. And yet you're going to say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death? Are you greater than our father, Abraham, who died? And the prophets, you're greater than them, they died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? Jesus. Jesus said, if I'm glorifying myself, it's worth nothing. But your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw my day and he was glad, Caris. He was, he was rejoicing. So the Jews said to him, time out. You're not like even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. God was present. So they picked up stones to throw at him and Jesus hides himself and leaves the temple. Now, if you followed me through that passage, a couple of things might stand out in your mind. First of all, there's a real theme of death in that passage. I mean, Jesus talks about their father Abraham, and their father Abraham died. That's in there twice. The prophets died. That's in there twice. But the launch pad for that passage is Jesus saying, if you'll keep my word, you'll never die. You keep the word of Jesus. You hear what Jesus is saying and you respond to it. And, and death's not there for you. Now, 
it is fair for us as we're setting the table here. It is fair for us to ask this question. Why is it if you hear Jesus' word and respond to it, you will never die? Spoiler alert. I mean, this is like cutting to the end a little bit. Not totally. You can't like leave now. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Jesus dies. And that's got an impact for you and me. Because the death of Jesus is something that he does for us. He substitutes himself for the death we should die. That's Christianity 101. If you're new to Christianity, you're going to hear about it some more. But that's Christianity 101. Jesus Christ substituted himself for us. So he took the death that we should have. Jesus as a substitute for us is the reason why that John's story reads the way it does. But there's something very provocative that Jesus said that really concerned the people. Jesus said this, Father Abraham. Several references to Abraham as their father. Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Abraham saw my day and was glad. Now, when did Abraham see the day of Jesus? I mean, we don't, you, you, you read the story in Genesis, you don't see him going to Madame Cleo or one of these fortune tellers. You don't see him get in a time machine and go forward 2,000 years with Doctor Who. How does, G How does Abraham see the day of Jesus and rejoice? The answer is point number two. The story of Abraham and Isaac. And so that's where we need to turn to find where Abraham saw the day of Jesus and rejoiced. So let's look at that story together. Now that story is in Genesis chapter 22. If we were studying this in a temple or in synagogue, or studying this with someone who is a studied Jew, we would talk about the Ha'akedah, Akedah, that's the way you pronounce it, the Ha'akedah, which is the, the binding, it's the Hebrew word for binding, you know, like, you, you, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. Some people, when they cook a turkey, they'll truss it up. They'll tie the legs up so it doesn't do this in the oven. You know, you, that's, that's uh, uh, akidah. That's binding. That's tying it up. And this is the story. Here's the story in a nutshell. Bob Dylan uh, had a song, Highway 61, uh, off his Highway 61 Revisited album. And he tells the story, uh, uh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, 
man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want to, but next time you see me coming, you better run. Now, it sounds like he's making light of it, but Bob Dylan grew up Robert Zimmerman in a Jewish home in Duluth, Minnesota, and this is a significant story in Judaism because God does say to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, go to Moriah to a place I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to kill him. And Abraham gets the wood, gets the knife, gets the fire because God wants it to be a burnt offering. And he gets his son and the donkeys loaded and a couple of servants and off he goes because Abraham made the decision, I'm going to kill my son because God told me to. This is not a story we really like to talk about a lot at church. It's not a story that anybody... This is the kind of story that you read about on the internet and people say, well, I'm not following that God. What God could make someone do that? And so God says for Abraham to do it. Abraham does it. He gets everything. He loads it up. And for three days they go to Mount Moriah. And they get to Mount Moriah, and the son Isaac says, Dad, I see the wood, I see the fire, where's the lamb? Dad says, God will provide the lamb. And then has Isaac carry the wood up the mountain. The dad binds his son. And he raises the knife to kill Isaac. And God stops him. And if you are around, a lot of our churches will sing about Jehovah Jireh. Um, in Hebrew, it's actually uh, uh, the name of God you don't pronounce, but if you were trying to, it would come out something more like Yahweh, and Jireh is uh, Yireh in the Hebrew, and it just means that God will provide. And Abraham names that place God will provide because God stops Abraham, and there's a ram in the thicket that's used. Um, now, I want to talk about this with Jesus, but I got to take a detour for just a moment. Because you can't hear this story without it blowing your mind a little bit. This story rightly bothers people. Rightly bothers people. If you're not bothered by this story, you ought to be. It ought to bother you a lot. And so before I bring Jesus back into this front and center, I need to pause for a moment because there are a couple of things I want you to consider. Before you write God off as a horrendous 
person or being unworthy of our dedication, unworthy of our praise, unworthy of our worship. Before you write him off on this story, I want you to consider a couple of things. I want you to consider, number one, the story that came right before it. See, Abraham had had another son. Abraham was married to Sarah, and Sarah had a handmaiden, and Sarah gave her handmaiden to Abraham because Sarah was barren. And Sarah knew how badly Abraham wanted a child. So Abraham has a child by uh, uh, the handmaiden of Sarah. And Hagar, the mother, they have a child. And the child's name is Ishmael. And then, and Abraham loved Ishmael. Then Sarah gets pregnant. Sarah has Isaac. And Sarah turns jealous. And Sarah says to Abraham, get that boy and his mother out of here. And Abraham goes to God with it. Abraham is distressed. The Bible, especially in the Old Testament, uh, the Pentateuch, doesn't often assign emotions to people. It's more narrative, narrative, narrative. There's emotion assigned here. Abraham is distressed. And God says to Abraham, you can do what Sarah said. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of Ishmael. And I'm going to make a great nation out of him. And I'm going to take care of Isaac. And I'm going to make a great nation out of him. So Abraham, you do this and this will be fine. And do you know what Abraham does? Abraham puts a little test out there for God. Abraham says, okay, I'll send off Ishmael. And I'll send off his mother. But I'm going to put him in the wilderness of Beersheba which if you ever go to Israel as desolate as it comes it's like Lubbock, Texas without the charm <laughs> Beersheba I'm sending them there and all I'm giving them in this desert wilderness is a little flask of water and a piece of bread not enough for anybody to survive on. God, you said you'd take care of them. God, you said you'd make a nation out of them. Fine, let's see you do it. And God does. So this story actually starts with Abraham testing God over taking care of a son. And then we get to the story of God bringing it back around and says, now... I told you I'd take care of Ishmael and make a nation out of him. I've told you I'll take care of Isaac and make a nation out of him. Now let me test you. You go sacrifice Isaac. You do for Isaac what you were willing to do blindly for Ishmael. And let's see how it turns out. And so Abraham does. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says that Abraham was convinced that if he sacrificed Isaac, God would resurrect him from the dead. God had already passed Abraham's test before God called Abraham to a test. So consider that as you're thinking through this story. I'm not saying it answers all the questions. There's a second consideration. And I'm not going to tell it to you right now. I'll tell you later. 
But now, if we're going to look at the story and follow the thread line with Jesus, if we're going to follow that thread of Jesus in the Abraham and Isaac story, we need to see some things about the story and compare them to what we know of Jesus. You ready? All right, let's see if we can read these passages. And I'm sorry, I wind up standing in the way of the passages. But if I lay down here to speak, it might be nicer to look, but you, you won't pay attention. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him. That's what Genesis reads. Some of you who've been in church a good bit, does any of that language sound familiar? It should. Because it's the same language and thought ideas behind John 3.16. God so loved his world that he gave his only son. So when Abraham is being called to offer the sacrifice of Isaac, it's done in a way where God pointedly says, the son you love, your only son, Isaac, offer him. And you're reading the Gospel of John later? Bells should be ringing when Jesus says, God, or John comments on Jesus is saying, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But there's a slight shift with the John passage. The emphasis is not just on God loving Jesus, but it's on God loving us. That's going to be a clue as we continue to work through this, so keep that in your brain. And so this is the instruction. And, and, and Abraham's not told, hey, do it now or do it here. Abraham's told to go do it on Mount Moriah. If you read through the Old Testament, Mount Moriah takes on a really special significance. That is the hilltop where Solomon will build the temple. Where the presence of God is there for all of the sacrifices that will be offered by Israel. That is the temple grounds where Jesus is. When we read about Jesus in the New Testament going to the temple. Mount Moriah is the place of God's sacrifices. Well, let's take it the next step. It, three days pass between the time where Abraham makes the decision to sacrifice Isaac. And the time that Isaac is, in a sense, resurrected, but actually not ever killed. But those three days are echoed in the life of Jesus as well. You know for those three days what Abraham was going through? Can you imagine? He clearly hadn't told his son. I mean, is he going there for three days thinking this is the last time I'm going to be talking to my son about the Astros? Bono's new book? Is this the last time I'm going to be able to talk to my son about what matters to him? 
If his son says, hey, dad, I'm wondering what kind of woman I might marry. Do I need to say something to him? Abraham had to be in agony during those three days as he walked through having already made the decision of what to do. Abraham in the story has Isaac carrying his own wood for the sacrifice. The New Testament teaches that Jesus was made to carry his own wood for his sacrifice. Isaac says, where's the lamb that's going to be sacrificed? If you read the story, there wasn't a lamb at the end. Even though Abraham said God would provide the lamb, it was a ram that was in the thicket. Because the lamb's not been provided by God until Jesus, who is the lamb of God. The lamb of God who's led to the slaughter, who takes away sin. See, Abraham said, when Isaac says, where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will see to himself. That's a more literal translation of the Hebrew. God will see to himself the lamb that is to be sacrificed. Jesus is that lamb of God who's led to the slaughter, who takes away sin. Now, I suggested to you before that Jesus had answered the crowd, your father Abraham rejoiced he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Do you think for one moment there was ever any experience in Abraham's life that even remotely rose to the level of rejoicing and excitement as the moment when God spared him from killing his own son. And the flood of emotions and the flood of praise and appreciation and you may be saying, well, I don't know. I mean, Abraham sounds like just a callous guy anyway. He probably was pathological and didn't have any feelings at all. Oh, no, you can read the story. He clearly does. He's a man of great feeling. And that's the day of Jesus that Abraham saw. For Jesus is the real sacrifice that's done for humanity. Abraham's faith in God was reckoned to him as righteousness, Paul writes in Romans, quoting Genesis multiple places. But that faith is what Jesus was calling for when he said, you don't ever want to die? then you need to respond to my word. You don't ever want to die? You need to hear what I'm saying and you need to respond. You may think your father, Abraham, because father's in that story multiple times, but Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was the father of... You know, and you can start down the lineage, Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob's the father of, and you can go all the way down. 
and trace your lineage back to Father Abraham. But Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. God, our father, will sacrifice his son because divine justice requires it. See, here are your things to consider. I told you this. I told you the first one. Let's contrast Ishmael. I told you the second one's coming later. Here's the later. There's a somberness of what happened with Abraham. It's right that it should blow our minds. It's right that we should say, what kind of God would put him through that? Well, I think in part a God who's confident of what Abraham would do, a God who's confident that he's not going to force Abraham to do the sacrifice, but a God who wants every one of us who reads that story to understand the seriousness of the death of Christ. The death of Christ is not just something, well, he's God, no big deal. It was a big deal. Jesus wasn't simply God. He was fully human. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Jesus so loved the world that he came. And if we don't understand the soberness and the severity of it in language that we can relate to, then we are too dismissive of what God has done. And if you say, well, wait a minute, Mark. God's God. God can do anything. So can't he just take a big eraser? Why does he have, if, if, if Jesus had to die for my, if Jesus died for my sins and it's that big a deal, then why didn't God do it another way? Well, there is no other way. If, if God is a just judge and God is going to declare you not guilty when you are guilty. It's either a kangaroo court with a kangaroo judge or someone else has to step in and pay the penalty that you're due to pay. It's got to be done or God's not a just God. He's only just when it serves his purposes, not when it costs him everything. So that's the story. I got five minutes. Let's talk about the significance. The church I grew up in, we used to sing a song, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He loved me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my Something through, it, it went on. <laughs> we have victory over sin. We don't have to sacrifice our children. We don't have to be the children sacrificed by our parents. All of the muck and the mire of sin the way it gets in and pollutes your brain, the way it affects your body, the way it destroys relationships, the way it, it, it deceives and, and is, is an illusion, the way it's so sticky and you can't get it off you, all of that victory in Jesus there is victory in Jesus. He died as a substitute for you and me.
And if you don't think there's victory in Jesus, you're being deceived. If you think you're too bad for there to be victory in Jesus, you don't understand the depth of what he did for you. Because there's not just victory in Jesus of eternal life. There's transformation in Jesus now. God is at work in his children. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to transform you into the likeness of his son. Little by little, every day. Jesus is changing me. He's making me something better than I was before. My wife is so excited about that. She thinks in a couple of years I'll be okay to live with. <laughs> Jesus is transforming me. You got problems? You got issues? You stuck in a deep hole? Let me introduce you to Jesus. Because he not only has the victory you need, he will transform you. He will answer those problems you've got that you can't find your way out. He's got a vision of eternity. Look at this story. God does something 2,000 years before Jesus comes and enacts and becomes the Isaac for all of us. 2,000 years so that we would understand and appreciate the magnitude of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's got answers to every problem you've got. And they start with you being reborn in him. Because you see, I put this up there before. Jesus died for us. But because Jesus died for us, we get to live with him. This is the thread that not only finds Jesus in the Old Testament, but this is the thread that helps us find Jesus in our life. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.